listening to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 183, Shrek 2, Sexy Manboy Kyle. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love and appreciation of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive in to today's episode. Welcome to the Animation Addicts podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradley. And we are so happy to have you join us today as we go back in time to talk about Shrek 2. Why did why did I decide to make it a, a ghostly sound? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Our Halloween special is coming early, guys. Shrek 2. There we go. Rewrite Shrek 2 as a horror film. Oh, my God. I'm sure that trailer exists on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> oh, yes. That's it is awesome. the internet. So, Morgan, are you ready for this fabulous episode to take us back to good old 2004? Yes, and boy was I taken back because this movie holds a very strong place in my memory for some reason, and it, we will talk about it, but a big part of it, surprisingly, is the music. So as soon as some of the opening numbers started playing and just- So that opening number, for sure. Transported back into 2004, so I cannot wait to talk about yeah. it. No, it was so funny because actually going into this, I completely forgot every plot point of this movie. everything every Every plot point before i was like doing my dishes or whatever today and i was thinking about the episode because i hadn't watched it yet and i was like you know i can't even think of a single quote from this movie like at all and in my head i guess i just kind of associated every shrek after the first to be like bad because not yeah because i think once it got to the third and fourth just kind of associated like shrek sequels equal bad and then going back and watching this, I'm like, this movie is so funny. So good. It's so good. <laughs> so let's jump into it. Let's do it. With just a wave of my magic wand, your troubles will soon be gone. With a flick of the wrist and just a flash, you'll land a prince with a ton of cash. A high price dress made by my snow rest. Some crystal glass pumps and no more stress. Your worries will vanish, your soul will cleanse. Confide in your very own furniture, friends will help you start a new fashion trend. All right, so general information about this film. Of course, we pull this from Box Office Mojo, IMDb, and Wikipedia, where all great internet movie information is found so first off we'll talk about the directors it was directed by andrew adamson kelly asbury and conrad vernon so we will talk about each one of those in a little bit it was distributed by dreamworks pictures and the production companies were dreamworks animation and pdi slash dreamwork it was released on may 19th 2004 budget was 150 million which is recent for 2004, I would yeah. say. I would say that's kind of the budget now yeah. for a lot of films, if not way more. And the box office, it did nearly $1 billion, wow. 
it was the highest ranked animated film for a long time up until 2010 when Toy Story 3 took it over and dethroned it. And at that point, those were still the number one and number two. And you can see that the 2010s just completely blew all of these numbers out of the water. But it ended up doing $919.8 million in the box office. So this was a big deal. Yeah. This film was, I mean, I, I forget how that there was Shrek mania mm -hmm. really after the first one. And each one of these movies kept doing better and better. The first Shrek film did $484.4 million. So this one doubled it, blew out of the water. And I would say that Shrek 2 is nearly on par with the original. That, that typically does not happen where the sequel is as good as the original, I think in this case, it almost comes there. It's so right there. Like I, as I was watching it, as I said before, I was like, why don't I associate this with being awesome? Because it kind of right. was. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about one of the directors, but according to my research, I wanted to look him up because I'm always interested in the careers of these animation directors, because sometimes they have these megastar careers where they just keep going hit after hit after hit. Sometimes they're kind of a flash in the pan where they're typically it's when the movie does not do well, where they're given a chance and then it's like they pull them back like, OK, well, we're not going to try that again, you know. So I, I wasn't super familiar with this guy. So I'm like, OK, I Which want one? to Andrew Adamson. Okay. So I wanted to find out what he was all about. And it turns out that he is actually the director of the original Shrek. Shrek itself was based on a children's book, but he basically was the one who was the writer and director along with a few other people. But he was credited with kind of creating the characters in the DreamWorks universe as we know them. So if you look on his IMDb, he has quite a few producing credits, writing credits, directing credits. He started out in the visual effects world as an animation supervisor for things like Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. You know, he worked for PDI, which basically was kind of the predecessor to uh, DreamWorks. It was known as Pacific Data Images, and it was just a computer animation production company that was bought by DreamWorks. So that's why they're kind of associated P PDI and DreamWorks are the same. Now you don't really hear much about PDI, um, although they have been doing films up until 2015 and they eventually closed in 2015. But he started his career in PDI. So they were doing special effects for all sorts of movies. And then obviously when you know, they, they were bought by DreamWorks, you know, then he moved into the DreamWorks world. And so his first directing credit was Shrek. But the thing that I thought was so interesting is he gets all of this uncredited work on all of these different Shrek kind of spinoffs. Mm -hmm. So there's Shrek the Halls, which was a short for ah, TV, yes. and he is credited or technically uncredited, but it says based on the characters created by. So he wasn't even credited in the credits, but on IMDb, they throw that back in and they say, no, you're uncredited, but these are the characters that you created. Okay. I mean, adapted, I right. guess. And so anytime there's one of these little, uh, you know, Shrek Forever After or Donkey's Christmas Shrektacular, we should check that nice. one out one day. Shrek's Yule Log. I mean, really? Shrek's Yule Log? You know what that is. It's basically... Yep. Yeah, so... We're just going to watch it burn, baby. <laughs> so anyways, I just thought 
that was kind of interesting that hey good good on imdb for giving him this uncredited credit for creating these characters but he went on as a director and continued to direct quite a few things up until 2012 it seemed like he sort of peaked in 2012 i don't know if he's necessarily still in the industry although it does show him as a executive producer for um, a short and he's going to be working on the newly announced curious george movie so um, he's been in the background after 2012 Uh but he continued to to direct quite a few things he then moved on after shrek 2 moved over to the chronicles of narnia series so he was the director of the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch of the wardrobe prince caspian and then a few other things since then so anyways this is a guy i'd never heard before and i just you know decided to dive into the imdb to check out his history and where what he's up to now so we should look for him in curious george because he's the producer and i believe he was listed as director writer okay writer director and producer this guy likes to do it all i mean if he can't just hand it off he's but that typically is the way with a lot of these directors they very much are involved in the story writing process so they obviously a lot of times do get a writing credit right well and also you look at a lot of the movies that he's done and they're like the ones that he's done have been really successful. So it's cool that I didn't realize that Shrek in general was adapted after a book. And so he's had, mm-hmm. you know, for him to move from this over to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia. It's like, oh, yeah, you've done this before. I can do adaptations. <laughs> I can do it. Too bad Disney did not have faith in the rest of the series and didn't continue oh, the Chronicles of Narnia. But that is one that's due for a reboot. Yeah. Speaking of, that, that would be, would be cool. Since, you know, Disney loves to just reboot everything that these days, you'll see it on Disney Plus. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at the some of the other directors. So for Conrad Vernon, he was director number two. So there's three directors. So we'll give you a, a very basic on this one. He's done lots of DreamWorks stuff, you know, from... Uh, he he was on Shrek. Oh, he was the he was the gingerbread man voice. Yay! <laughs> uh, I, I know, that. but... It's like, if I'm ever a director, which will never happen, but if I were, you better believe oh, you better I would find a way it. to sneak myself into a little mini role. But that's actually a pretty significant yeah. role. Uh, it, clearly, I don't know the story on that one, but it, he had to have been a temp voice and they just loved it so much. They're like, well, you, you are our gingerbread yeah. man or gingy as they call him in this movie. <laughs> well, I think also because I, I, you can check out Mason did an interview with another voice actor who did pick number three, my lord, in the, in the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he just, you know, was the, he was the guy who actually made all the cuts and like as one of the main editors of the film. And so you check out episode 89 of the podcast and that he kind of talks about how anybody who's just there when they're making all of these voices ends up doing lots of temp voices and then they just keep them. And then that's how he mm-hmm. got the, you know, several voices in that movie and a several others. And then also in uh, Madagascar. So Conrad Vernon, he's done, he did Shrek 2, then Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted, which I actually really enjoyed that one. Um, Adam's Family. And now, and I also enjoyed that one. Um, and then Adam's Family 2 is 2021. So he's... You know, done a lot of voices, though. If you look at his acting thing, it's like everything. <laughs> so he's just like... 
Nice. Everybody just, like you just realize that everybody's just kind of hanging out in the studio and they're like need people like hey, you did a good one for this one okay come on over we need we need somebody to do the voice of Mason in Penguins of Madagascar and I know advisor Hawk for Monsters and Aliens I mean just funny but then also the third one I did an interview with Kelly Asbury and that was episode one seventy one and. When I was getting ready for that one, I it was just so interesting because he he I don't remember if if this was just what I learned about him or if this was something that I talked to him about in that episode, but mm-hmm. he basically did the same thing. Like so he started out with Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron and then he did Shrek 2 and then they kind of like moved him over to other th- like he went to other studios. Uh, so he was director of Nomeo and Juliet and then Smurfs, the Lofts village. And then he was also the like second director on ugly dolls, meaning they fired their first director. So he had to come in and within six months, basically rewrite the entire movie and get it out. And his, the whole story on that one, it's like, I wasn't a fan of ugly dolls. When I, after I saw the movie, I was like, okay, there's a lot of issues with the plot and everything. But then when I realized what he like had, he basically had to throw it all together in six months. I was like, mm-hmm. you know what? Hey, good on you. <laughs> Mad props. Mad yeah. props. <laughs> but you know, he's, he's a really fascinating guy too. He's done a couple different interviews on on cinema blend where he talks about like what it's like to be the director of a flop <laughs> and i was like oh, oh. But, it, but as far as like hey directing is a job like you go in and you're you're like almost any other person like you have a you have a very particular set of skills <laughs> mm-hmm. and so you you end up having to you find different jobs that go for it but he's like just how he looks at the whole thing he's like i'm not you know say like i I basically, you do what you got to do to be able to, uh, you know, make money and whatnot. But it's just, it's really fascinating to kind of like look at, see, because we, we end up, I mean, he's, you know, director on Shrek 2, which we both agree is a fabulous film. And then right. you have, you know, other movies where you, he's like, well, you just have to, you have some that are going to be great and you have some that aren't, and you just have to kind of take it where he goes. And I think being able to look at both sides of somebody's career, like, and as a whole picture and like see different things that they learn along the way, like, it's just fascinating. So definitely uh, look him up if you got to. He seemed to have a good attitude about it. All things considered. Yeah, no, he totally does. Well, speaking of doing voice work, he also did a few other things in this movie. He was Page, like a page, uh-huh. elf, nobleman, and nobleman, I should say, and nobleman's son. Ah, nice. So again, more temp voices. <laughs> right. But, hey, we already have you on, on to pay. So <laughs> this is already pushing up towards $150 million. Right. We can't afford to pay a voice actor. So you got it, Kelly. <laughs> that was actually a question I wanted to ask, but I didn't. I was like, did you get pay union fees for these things? Oh. <laughs> Next, Next time. time, yeah. So that is little interesting tidbits. I think it's very interesting because a lot of the Pixar directors are very well known. They're almost celebrities in and of themselves where we know Brad Bird. Right. We know Pete Docter. Yeah. We know John Lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we know him. <laughs> we'll talk about that another day. We're not opening that can of words. But, but each one of those guys, you know, Andrew Stanton, we know all of these directors and they are just, they have their this cult status yeah. among the studio because they started with the studio. And 
you know, DreamWorks likewise was a studio that's had been around more or less the same amount of time, but their directors aren't as iconic, maybe because they moved to other studios fairly quickly or whatnot. But I just think it's interesting to compare and contrast kind of the DreamWorks directors and how, you know, their celebrity status versus the DreamWorks directors. And I think just part of that just has to do with just the Disney Pixar culture and fandom. There's just such passionate fans particularly Pixar. Uh If you are a Pixar fan, you know everything about Pixar. Yeah. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that we got to dive into the history of those three men. I guess this was our mini couch discussion for today. (laughs) DreamWorks directors. (laughs) Until next time. (laughs) So she said, what's the problem, baby? What's the problem? I don't know. Well, maybe I'm in love. Love. Think about it every time I think about it. Can't stop. opened up it had this montage with the i'm in love i'm in love i was like oh we're here oh my gosh and the every moment every cut i was like this opening montage is amazing and i don't like i forgot once again how good it is yeah why don't i remember any of this (laughs) like not a single thing it's really interesting because this cd I owned this CD okay. and I remember listening to, this was during high school for me. And so CDs were a big thing. We all had our little binder of different oh, yes. CDs. And I remember when this came out, I mean, I remember listening to it the summer of 2004 over and over and over again. And so as these songs were playing them, they almost like, I definitely remember them from the movie, but they had even stronger of a hold on me just because of how many times I listened to them over that summer so accidentally in love that's the first opening number that you're talking about by the counting crows you know holding out for a hero that introduced me to that song and that is now a favorite of mine it's 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 done by frou-frou but i like the original so so much better but it's perfect in the movie and just that montage that they do um during that changes Mm -hmm. by butterfly boucher obviously that's a david bowie song he did the background vocals because he heard the song and liked it so much that he's like hey i'll do the background vocals (laughs) on this which is pretty cool for an up-and-coming new artist and that introduced me to david bowie (laughs) and now i absolutely love all of his stuff so dashboard confessional i mean that is hitting the nail on the head for 2004 <laughs> really as lovers go funky town you gotta throw an old 70s classic on there i'm on my way i need some sleep uh, live in the vita loca <laughs> yes yeah so give me a little ricky martin please yes so okay so this movie starts off basically very soon after the last film they are married they just got off their honeymoon and they're starting their life meaning they shrek and fiona in the swamp and they are perfectly blissfully happy and that opening montage really does set the stage for everything that they're kind of doing in their life and how in love they are so i thought that was a really great way to to bring you back because you know the very first number and the opening to shrek is iconic in itself as well because that is the smash mouth all-star song you know which man this makes me want to go back and watch shrek (laughs) even more we're setting the stage and 
immediately there's all these really pop culture references from, which made Shrek so iconic and you know we're, is it going to date it no not really and they jump right back into that where this movie is funny we have tons of pop culture references you know from the very beginning there's yeah, I definitely noticed they almost scene for scenes shot for shot when they're doing the rings it's like Lord of the oh, Rings yeah. when he pulls the ring out and then it goes into the sky and it lands on her finger and then of course the elven scroll instead of what it says in the movie it says I love you and so there's that happened you know within the first few minutes and immediately I'm like yes (laughs) I am here for all of this I think this is great and it you know here we are probably you know 20 years out from Lord of the Rings and the original Shrek don't say that yeah about that but this didn't feel dated Uh Like, even though I think those were pretty timeless references now, I think Lord of the Rings is timeless and iconic and a classic. I need so to do another. There still were so, a few things that maybe was like, okay, I mean, Starbucks is still around, right? right? Yeah. There's <laughs> that moment when he like looks up and he sees, or no, that's, I mean, later on, uh, just because they have all these throughout the whole movie, but in that opening scene specifically, I'm thinking like they're like running to each other in this, in on the hillside. And then all of a sudden you see the, the town folk coming out with pitchforks and everything. I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is great. I like this. Uh, no, the whole, every little bit. And that was one thing that I, through the movie, they have all of these references everywhere. And I just wanted to be a part of the group that said, hey, can we add this somewhere? Because that would be cool. <laughs> like, I'm sure that they have yes. this, like, committee of people that just go and watch movies to be able to say, okay, this is kind of iconic. Let's copy that. <laughs> or let's spoof this, you know? I think there's such film buffs and movie buffs that you just That's know. That's true you know that's your life yeah. right like i'd still i'm, I'm <laughs> but that's the that's part of it is they that is their life already but that's why they have this job so that they can have an excuse to go back and watch every movie i mean that's why we do this right mm-hmm. <laughs> so i guess we have our own committee to go back <laughs> Yeah. So very quickly, we move where we're having to set the stage. We're having to go too far, far away. And there's some funny moments as they're traveling. And I like just the 100 miles to far, far away. And then it was like 50 miles to far away. (laughs) And then 10 miles to away. Just, (laughs) Just great little gags like that. And then, of course, we have to bring Donkey back. Because what would a Trek film be without Donkey? Initially, I read that they were planning on having Dragon be a part of it too and they were going to introduce her pregnancy because they kind of allude at it throughout obviously it's like oh she's not feeling well she has mood swings but apparently in the screenings dragon was introduced early on and she had those mood swings and it was actually pretty scary (laughs) and scared the children so they just cut it i'm like okay good good move dragon mama you know so he's definitely the third wheel it's kind of like why are you here okay yeah sure but they have to go to because the parents have introduced them back into the world. so or, That was know. a question I had. Is like, did they just, how did they know that she was married? And then how did she know, like, how right. did they not know who she married? Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it's unsure. But again, to move the plot along. <laughs> the plot demanded it, okay? <laughs> they even sent it to the right place, which is the swamp. Right. You know, yet are shocked when she's not only an ogre herself, but she is married to an yeah. ogre. And I really liked how they introduced Prince Charming as he, during this entire time, was on this quest to find her, you know, through 
hot weather and through all the, you know, he has his own little monologue that he says about right. it, but he gets there and it's big bad wolf essentially, yeah. <laughs> you know, sitting there like, what? what? <laughs> I'm just squatting. It's fine. Everybody does it in this world. So it introduces that, yes, there was someone for Fiona. Uh, he just got there a bit late, uh, probably a few weeks too late, unfortunately. But I had so many questions about this. So clearly they live in this fairy tale land. There's fairy tale creatures all around, you know, people having curses and things like that happen to them is just very commonplace. I mean, you have uh, Sleeping Beauty and what happens to her and the poison apple. There's, there's all these references to magic and curses. So, I mean, yes, your daughter turns into an ogre, but... Is that that big of a deal? It's kind of just all part part and parcel, right? Of what happens to people in this world. And so it just was interesting to me that they she had to be shunned. And then it seemed like when she was a child or late, you know, almost teenager, then it's like, okay, well, we're going to send you away to this tower and your, a prince is going to find you. I'm like, well, can't you just keep her in this tower and just lock her in a tower at home and have a prince come and find you? I didn't understand why she had to be banished other than for dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it kind of goes through that. Like when, when he's reading the book, she's like, I think it's for like a finishing school. It'll be great. <laughs> and they're like, oh, nope. That's so you're just going to be stuck in a tower, which I understand why she was so ticked off at the very beginning. Like, excuse me, I was supposed to be waiting for Prince Charming here. Thank you very much. And not realizing, did she know Prince Charming? Obviously, because Fiona, Fiona Charming, Fiona Charming. All these years of planning. Wasted. Wasted. <laughs> Prince Charming, there's a few okay. of them, right? And so I think she knew that a Prince Charming was going to rescue oh, her true. which one who knows they're a dime a dozen <laughs> are they though <laughs> remember a few years ago when all the boys were named jason and all the girls were named Brittany? it's okay, kind of okay. like that <laughs> <laughs> but charming was interesting he was very pompous he was much like a gaston character which is kind of interesting because the actor who played him i looked him up and you know wasn't familiar with him at mm -hmm. all but his name is rupert everett and if you look at the things that he's most known for my best friend's wedding an ideal husband cemetery man or cemetery man he's in a movie called the happy prince from 2018 but he's been consistently you know has work but it turns out that he auditioned for gaston oh. and he did not get it and so he used that he said i realized for gaston i wasn't pompous enough in my audition and so i really played up the arrogance of prince charming and obviously got the there role there you go which initially Prince Charming was supposed to be a very sort of airheaded character, more of a childlike through a lot of tantrums. Uh -huh. um, and they that got real old. And so they, they just made him a bit more pompous, but not a complete buffoon, you know, spoiled child brat. He definitely had the spoiled so. brat thing going. And, you know, yes. oh, Prince, he can't even fix his own hair in the back. Well, you know, he just right, has these moments right. of, huh, mm -hmm. Well, you have the overbearing mother, right, who's who just completely helicopter parents, I guess, where they don't allow the baby to fly away from the nest and they just do everything for the kids. That was fairy godmother. Yeah. Too charming, for sure, to a T. Yeah. So I was kind of confused at the relationship, which we had talked about, is how did the fairy godmother get 
involved. I mean, obviously she does a deal with the dad. The marriage has been arranged since their birth, more or less, not really, but they, they strike a Which deal. Which we find out why later, because she was the one that turned him into a real prince instead of the frog. And so in trade, they, she said, okay, but my son must marry your daughter in order to have the throne. They strike a deal because of the frog thing. So he owes mm-hmm. her, I guess, for having, you know, done that. Yeah. So was this something that happened after Fiona had been in the tower, you know, and then he immediately went off and did it take him a few weeks or did it take him a few years to find this place? The whole timeline is off and I would like to know more so I could really understand what happened here. But going to even the father. Right. Which I also thought was odd because, you know, the queen did not kiss him at all when she when he was a frog (laughs) at the very end she's just like okay i'm just gonna hold you here (laughs) yes yes i thought that was really bizarre kiss her yeah you can kiss him and break the spell so yeah i thought that was kind of a missed opportunity because it's like oh we don't need a fairy godmother to step in and save us for every little thing we can just solve it ourselves you know of course with true love's first true love's kiss which is you know saves everything uh so yeah the I don't think I ever analyzed it this much before, but these are the questions that I had all of, you know, breaking down the mythology of Of the Shrek universe, these of the Shrek universe, because these are fairy tales where we are very familiar with how they go. And of course, every studio puts their own spin and twist on it. But Shrek, even more so where all these characters are intertwined in very weird ways, you know, where Prince Charming, his mom is the fairy godmother, Fiona's parents are frog prince and queen, whatever. So like all of the, they're just much different than how we're typically used to seeing these characters. It's almost kind of like a once upon a time before it's time, you know, they, they kind of did what once upon a time did where they just mixed all of these characters together and, you know, changed the narrative in a different way, which I, I think is pretty cool. So I enjoyed all the different twists and turns they did with these characters, because how many times can you hear the Cinderella story? How many times can you hear whatever story? So it was just fun to see it presented in a different way, but I still have tons of questions. <laughs> and you know what? This is why we have this podcast so that we can ask all these you know, very nuanced questions about some things that make absolutely no difference in our lives. And yet we must ask. (laughs) But can I just say that Jennifer Saunders, who played the gut fairy godmother, killed it? Absolutely. Oh, she was so good. She was so good in this. Like every bit of her personality just seeped into it. I was like, oh, girlfriend, I got you. And were you familiar with her before? I was not. But I mean, looking at some of the things that she's done she's you know she's done a lot of um she's done quite a bit not a lot but she's done quite a bit of animation films she was even in the simpsons uh but yeah she's got a great voice she was in the minions and also sing as nana nana i never know how to say that i absolutely adore and love her song the opening song which is the fairy godmother song with just a wave of my magic wand your troubles will soon be gone with a flick of my wrist and just a flash you'll land a prince with a ton of cash <laughs> like the lyrics to all of that are so great a sexy boy man for kyle <laughs> that was so funny and then uh, banish your blemishes tooth decay cellulite thighs they'll fade oh, away nice. Oh, and what the hey? Have a Bichon Frise, which that takes you back to 2004. If you remember around this time, that is when a Bichon Frise won the national dog show and kind of put Bichon Frise on the uh-huh. map. 
uh, where it stayed for quite a while, but, you know, has definitely succeeded, I'd say, to the Golden Doodle, which is not recognized by the AKC. But yes, it was a hot dog at the time. <laughs> Ooh, hot dog. <laughs> hot diggity. That part was really funny. Oh, so good. And her voice was great, too. Who did the lyrics yeah, who for did that? those lyrics? I loved how afterward where she was like, no, get out of here, everybody. And then all of the furniture are just like, I don't like oh. her at all. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally stealing from Beauty and the Beast. Okay, so there's a few lyricists for it, but it was Walt Dorn, David P. Smith, and good old Andrew Adamson had to get himself oh, in there. Oh, nice. Like, you know what? I, I know what? I know what we need for this, so... <laughs> So that is the only original song that was created for this movie, but to me, always really stood out. I thought that it just had great lyrics, great tune. It felt like it could be a Disney song. It was definitely parodying a lot of the other songs that you had seen in Cinderella and any of these classic Disney fairy tales that, you know, putting its own Shrek twist on it, which, like I mentioned, uh, Kyle Kyle was freaking hilarious. The fact that it had this like sexy man boy. <laughs> Come on, Kyle. <laughs> we'll just say man. We'll just say man just to keep it clean. Oh, and, well, not clean, but I, uh, reverse, okay. reverse. <laughs> With this sexy manservant, Kyle, who just kept reappearing. And I love that he had like this rhinestone Kyle on him. It just, oh my gosh. it was, it was perfect. <laughs> I mean, I should go through all of the lyrics of that He's song. Probably the pool just, boy as well. <laughs> we could laugh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, she calls it a man boy, sexy man boy chauffeur. So, okay. It's, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if that's the title you're going to put on your business card, more power to you. <laughs> Speaking of titles, I think we got our title. (laughs) (laughs) Along the way, they have Donkey in here. And everyone's fine with having Donkey in there. Because, you know, after the first one, you just get to the point where you're like, you know, Donkey, he's just part of the film. And you can't do this without Eddie Murphy. You just can't. And so moving on, when you finally get to meet the beautiful Puss in Boots... I was just like, yes, Antonio. He did a great job. And he actually did the voice of Puss in Boots for the Latin America releases. I think the Spain and Italian. Yeah. So he is very talented and multilingual. Well, because he's he's a Spaniard. And I lived in Spain for a couple months after high school. And I was doing a study abroad over there. And we would go around and take a look at all the museums that they had. They had a, we decided to visit the wax museum. And the funniest thing about it is they have, you know, all of the world's biggest, most famous leaders. And then you have some random Spaniard guy that only people from Spain know who this is. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And then you have Antonio Banderas everywhere. And he's like, one of the biggest stars in Spain because of that. So everyone loves Antonio. Speaking of Puss in Boots, I, he didn't have a huge role in this. Based on how well received the character was, I kind of remember him being larger than life. I remember that, you know, those big doe-eye moment, yeah. you know, the sad cat face that he does, just taking over the world yes. and being, everyone thinking it was so funny. And he definitely has a decent role in this but it wasn't to the extent where you're getting your own spin-off movie i think it was just those cat eyes you know that's just like yes give me more cat videos 
yeah, so we still get Shrek 3 and then Shrek 4 in 2010, and then Puss in Boots is in 2011. So there's still two more movies where they really get to milk this Puss in Boots character to see, you know, he gets even bigger roles in each of the subsequent uh-huh. films until finally just taking it over <laughs> himself. Say, let me do this. And yeah, he is w- one of the biggest characters from this franchise. Yes. I will agree. You know, and there was a video that you and I did of, you know, once again, another side note. That's, that's this whole thing is just going to be side notes. But <laughs> there was a video of you that you and I did when we were reviewing the Puss in Boots art book. And I just remember having, you know, going through that art book. The art book is amazing. It's beautiful. Everything about it is just so just like get me into this world. I love it so much. But the movie itself Mm-mm, not so good and it made me sad yeah. so i was like if you're if you're really interest, interested definitely get the art book and kind of skip the movie because it kind of ruined the whole idea of it for me but anyway just you know reviewing that movie is for another yes, day it is we definitely have to do shrek three and four before we do Puss okay. and Boots, I sounds think. good Yes. Well, so see you in 10 years, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unless you become a patron and help us reach our goal, if we get enough patrons, we will start doing the podcast weekly, which means we'll churn through these movies faster and finally get to all the amazing movies because there's just too many amazing animated movies. So if you're interested and you'd like to check out our perks, we have a ton of them. You get so many goodies when you join. Go to rotoscopers.com slash patron. Do it. So at this point in time, after Puss in Boots comes in, I just, I wrote in in the notes that I'm like, I'm having so much fun with this movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> yes. wow, I can't. And I'm also having these moments of where I'm remembering the very first time seeing this and also remembering that I really enjoyed it. And I'm thinking, once again, why don't I remember that I really enjoyed this? But yeah, what was it about like the Shrek films that they actually are so, so good, at least one and two, you know, up until this point, have having reviewed on the podcast. If you want to go back and listen to our original episode where we review Shrek, go to rotoscopers.com slash 88 and check out our podcast review there. It is a fun one. But yeah, it's so interesting because every, this isn't a movie that you want to pop on all the time and and it's constantly your go-to. But every time that I do watch it, I am so pleasantly surprised and I am so happy and glad that I did. I'm just very perplexed as to why it's, it doesn't hold a stronger place in my mind when it comes to, hey, let's watch a movie, one we've probably seen a million times before. What do you want to watch? Like, why is it always revert to Disney Pixar versus some of these really great DreamWorks films? And DreamWorks has a fantastic catalog and completely they set really themselves do. apart from Disney and Pixar. And, you know, they have really, really great franchises. But what? It's just there's still this little disconnect in my mind when it comes to DreamWorks, which is pretty sad. Uh, I need to remove that bias because I love it. That's the thing is I don't even know why. I don't even think I subconsciously have a bias against it. I just they just don't pop to mind first. But as you're saying, like all there's a lot of DreamWorks films that I'm after I watch them. I'm like, wow, this was a really good movie. And I don't understand why Mm -hmm. they don't come up in our own lexicon of favorite movies every day, you know, Mm -hmm. and. If you're looking at, especially in the last, you know, in the, in the 2010s, you look through that. Once we started the podcast, it was like, there are so many really excellent DreamWorks films. 
you know, you had Rise of the Guardians, you had, I mean, just so many. I have wondered that through the whole time that we've done the podcast, because I'm just thinking there's a lot of them that I'm like, why don't I? Mm-hmm. So if you are a listener and you kind of maybe know why, or you have a, a theory maybe, or if you just want to say, hey, change your ways and like DreamWorks more, <laughs> more I, which is just the thing, like we don't dislike DreamWorks. Like, and it, it's just, why? Why don't I, I go back to that? So if you have a theory, we are all ears. Let us know what your thoughts are. Send us a voicemail. Yes. Send us a voicemail. Maybe it'll turn into a nerdy couch discussion. We can just talk all about it in our next next time we do a DreamWorks film. We should definitely do a full nerdy couch discussion on yeah. it and have voicemails where people are specifically like have a voicemail nerdy couch discussion oh, love segment. That. How does that sound? I love that idea. Whoa. We've never done it's that. Like inception. It's like Inception. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, totally not. I, mean, I guess. If, if, all right. If we have a podcast, and then you have a nerdy couch discussion, and then you have a voicemail segment, but now you're going to have a nerdy couch discussion that has voicemails that's inside the podcast that also has a separate voicemail segment. Guys. Guys we're going all out here. <laughs> send your voicemails in. Okay. Rotoscopers.com slash And Mason will be on that episode, whatever episode that happens to be. Because <laughs> we yes. do need to have his. Because I'm sure that he has, if not a similar view, he may have a totally different one. He may be the antithesis of us and be like, you mm-hmm. girls are cray cray. Which, hey, I'm okay with being called that if I, if I can be proved wrong. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even saying I'm wrong. I, I'm right. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay, so Julie Andrews is in this film, and the moment she comes in, I mean, I know this is at the very beginning. I just love any movie that Julie Andrews is in. Yes, she is the queen, and she is very much associated with Disney nowadays. I mean, obviously, Sound of Music is something else that she's big and well known for. But I feel like she's kind of become part of the Disney brand because everyone just adores Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins. And so for her to go and go to this other studio, I mean, it's a, it's a gig. A gig is a gig. gig. (laughs) Who cares what the studio is? But I was just like, yeah, I love, I love seeing her kind of on the other side, you know, with the competitor as a queen there, you know, (laughs) still playing that role. She was a queen before, uh, in the princess diaries, of course, but she, she is for our forever queen. She really okay? is. Like real. everything about her just screams the most classy of ladies. I love her. We talked about how she didn't actually kiss the frog. So it was like, oh, you're more mm-hmm. of a man than ever. I'm like, okay, but you're still not going to kiss him. But <laughs> he's still a frog. You're still a frog. <laughs> okay. That's cool. Because he can talk and whatever. He That's cool. You have all sorts of magical creatures that are running around this land. But... You you gotta find a way to get your husband. Yeah, back. Right. <laughs> let's fix this moment. And I, I don't remember. Does he come back? No, he just stays a frog. That's the thing. Like I don't remember any of these movies after. We might have to go and do Shrek the Third sooner rather than later. Well, we may have to because like I, I honestly. Which speaking of Shrek the Third, so in this one in Fiona's room, there's the picture of Sir Justin. On yes, her ceiling, and actually at the time the directors and. The filmmakers didn't know that Cameron Diaz was dating Justin Timberlake at the time when they put that, that on there. That was so great. So, <laughs> and then obviously they get him to come into the next film. So he's a bigger player in Shrek the Third. So it's kind of interesting there. 
Okay, so Fiona, she's always had a very big role in these films, and she's never a secondary character. I felt like Fiona's story and story arc and everything that was happening to her was equally as important as Shrek's and what was happening to him. And one thing can I just say about Fiona's design? I understand why she has to be an ogre. Right. You got to flip the classic fairy tale on its head. Not everyone can have these perfect, amazing lives as we're told in fairy tales. You know, it turns out you can still have perfect, amazing lives as ogres. I mean, if it works. So I appreciate that they have to turn her into an ogre, but man, her human design is just so appealing. Mm-hmm. She has a very classic feminine body that anyone would kill for. And it just looks so good in that dress every time that I see her. She works those freckles too. Yes, the red hair. I mean, she's everything. They they made all the right changes to her so that way she didn't fall into the traditional, you know, blonde princess mold, which we had seen so many times at this point. Every time I see Fiona as a human, I'm just like, oh, I wish you could stay a human. What were your thoughts on Shrek as a human? He's okay. I'm not quite sure. There's a story. (laughs) It just sounds like there's a story. There's a rant coming. Well, so here's the thing. Like, yes, he's attractive. Is he so attractive where all the girls, like basically their version of the bimbets would kill? (laughs) The the Gillettes uh, are fawning over him. Like he's the most gorgeous creature ever. Definitely not. And so then I also was reading as I do when I'm doing a podcast. And it said Shrek's human form intentionally resembles his voice actor, Mike Myers. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> no wonder I didn't find Shrek, human Shrek, all that attractive because yeah. Oh, man. <sighs> Cause Mike Myers is not your go-to Hollywood hunks. Let's just put no, it that way. Okay. Um, but how would, how would it feel to have them come up to you after the fact? You're like, Hey, just so you know, we intentionally wanted to make this, uh, this, uh, the main character look like you. And you like shows him a picture of an ogre. <laughs> like, Oh, thanks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So like, I guess the human form is supposed to be super hunky. I mean, like he's kind of burly. He's not your traditional slim, slender prince build. You know, he's a little bit more burly. He's a man's man. Yeah, he has the cleft chin, kind of like Gaston. Like, he's a, he's a decent-looking guy, just not my type of guy, I guess I'd right. say. But I was not like, okay, this is... Because he, he goes later into Far, Far Away, and all the girls are just swooning over him again. And I'm like, am I missing something? Uh, clearly, well, I Well, I mean, when you compare him to some of the, you know, townsfolk with their pitchforks, he's kind of a hunk. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you got to look at what they've got the got to offer around him. <laughs> I loved reading the feedback on this film, and I'm interested to hear what you say, but one of the critic reviews was like, a beautifully animated film, stunning. I'm like, well, for the time. For the time, for sure. But looking at it now, like, it's not a bad looking film. I still feel that the DreamWorks human characters struggle a bit. They feel, they just, their proportions feel uh-huh. off. And obviously like, you know, like Farquaad, they have like these, like, it seems like their heads are like bigger yeah. than their bodies almost by like just a few percentage yeah. points. I don't know. I've always felt that the human characters were like slightly uncanny valley, but not quite enough. And they get better, but they just like, they, they're they kind of bulky. Fiona's like the one exception. And there's a lot of uh, photorealism to the faces, I think. Yes. So the one thing I noticed 
is I felt like his, when they first show him, he's like kind of doing something with his hands, like, uh, look at me or whatever. And his hands Mm -hmm. were something that were weird to me. Like his hands were like almost bigger than his face. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Like we have in our house, my, we have this like carving statue thing and whoever carved it carved the hands larger than their, the face. I don't know why, but (laughs) we always make fun of it just because it's like, yeah, the guy, like the face of the, of the statue is smaller than the guy's hands. And so it's just weird, (laughs) (laughs) but it kind of felt like that. Like that was my initial thought of like, his hands look okay, but compared to his face, that kind of looks a little weird, but that was really the only thing that I, I could think of aside from Fiona. I felt like all of the female characters were really bland really stock Mm -hmm. yeah like there was no differentiation between any of them you get it you we're sorry 2004 dreamworks (laughs) we're giving you such a hard time (laughs) humans are hard okay (laughs) we're hard i mean you look at the you look at the incredibles at the same time and it's you know they're definitely more cartoony Mm -hmm. compared to the humans in this world are more true to life i guess um trying to be they can get away with some of these yeah these more uh cartoony shapes in the incredibles you know you think of elastic right. girl and her proportions and her curves and whatnot but yeah i mean okay i just need to lay off they, it okay they did a, they great, did a great job, job. i need to go back to the the original guy who wrote that review who said a stunning beautifully animated <laughs> film it is it's like it's not as i was watching it i was like Whew. well because you look at the this first is a, one this is a bit hard to watch the first one i was watching and i you know i remember that being like wow this is dated wow this is bad animation but for the time it was great and then this one oh. i didn't feel like it it stuck out as being bad at all I right. thought it no. was like, yeah, totally. oh, this is kind of average of what you would see today in maybe like an up and coming film mm-hmm. uh, company. But for the time, yeah. this was the the main thing. So yep. there we go. My favorite quote of the entire film was at the very end. At It was like the additional scene where you have Puss in Boots coming in when he's got these two girls on his side. He's like, oh, hey, we're off to the Kit Kat Club. Come and join us. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just over there. He's like, I'm alone. I'm solitary and alone. And then all of a sudden you got dragon come in with the babies and he's like, look at our little mutant babies. I got to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I cracked up. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Well, and it just, you know, goes back to our discussion of mutant babies, not necessarily mutant, but you know, the stock of the parent, each parent like we're gonna take the head of here we're gonna have this the legs of here and it's just gonna be all sorts of paper doll shove them together (laughs) like play-doh yep it was like fabulous (laughs) yeah there were some great great quotes in this one you know the first one is so quotable but there's shrek quick tell a lie uh what should i say uh say something crazy like i'm wearing ladies underwear i'm wearing ladies underwear nothing happens (laughs) (laughs) are you (laughs) i most certainly am not (laughs) (laughs) it looks like you most certainly am are not the gun drop button bringing it back they did bring it back to do you still know the muffin man because that was of the first movie that was one of the absolute best quotes of the whole thing right and then they go to the muffin. Yeah. Room. The other part that I was thinking about this when they were going in to see Fairy Godmother's like 
factory and it was, it was like right. oh, the keeblers <laughs> got to back off yep yep <laughs> and that was the point where i was like oh my gosh i really want to be on the people who just say oh let's throw in candy like why not why not throw in food references as opposed to just fairy tale references let's like oh that's amazing they always throw it back to the pop culture mm-hmm. there's always going to be pop culture there's always be references that are into the now um you know, not like a genie in Aladdin sort of thing where he's just off the wall throwing all these random uh, references and things. But, you know, they, they incorporated, you know, the Keebler elves that make cookies in a factory, essentially, uh-huh. and, and turned it into the lore of this right. world, which is just so clever and so Here's fun. a question that I had. Why did they need the wand? It was just to get, like, to make her, like, take her power away? At the end? Yeah. Yeah, I think her wand is sort of an epitome of everything, of like all the potions that she's able to concoct. So she can either, she uses the wand to create the potions, but her wand in itself can do magical changes without needing a potion. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Because it gives tension for the final There you go. You gotta have some type of a big boss moment fighting for something. There you go. Yep. Where it hands off from one person to another person to another person to another person until finally the hands of the hero it goes. Ah, oh, yes. Hooray. Huzzah. And we end as we always Get do. Your medieval meal. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a funny scene. <laughs> I want a medieval meal. Here's your prize for the medieval meal. Giant axe. My diet is ruined. I blame you. So we end as we always do in DreamWorks films. Very, very common, popular at the time. Well, with at least with Shrek. A dance party. Yes. Good old animated dance party. Have a good old song at the end of this. We didn't actually talk about this, but I asked our patrons what their favorite scene or quote in Shrek 2 was. And both of the answers so far reference the I need a hero chase scene. That's what Alex Beavis said. And then Jennifer says the whole movie is so good. But that escape scene where they break Shrek, Donkey, and Puss out is so is good. good. So we didn't even talk to that about that. But that is the I Need a Hero where she is singing that song and just doing this amazing, like her performance is great. Apparently she learned how to sing and took, you know, vocal lessons in order to sing her own songs. So she's really the only one who sings as a character in this. She has her original fairy godmother song and then I Need a Hero and just she's like laying on the piano and getting all into right. it and then at the same time we're cutting you know so fiona is dancing with prince charming during this and kind of maybe falling for him you know she's in this like weird situation with him where she clearly knows he's not <laughs> her husband right. and then obviously as they mentioned the classic escape scene that is it, it really is good the music is perfect for it yes um, and I just love that we get to see both of what's happening in such a dramatic moment. Yeah. All right. So any last thoughts on this film before we rate it? Uh, last thoughts. You know, I have a hard time as far as rating it. I have no reason not to give it like a four and a half to five stars. I only wouldn't want to give it a five stars just because I'm like, I don't know if I would want to go back and watch this again very soon. So soon. yeah, it would be one that I wouldn't want to watch for at least a while. But if it were on again, I'd be like, yeah, I'll sit down. So I'm not sure where I would, where this falls. Maybe because of that, I'll give it a 4.5. But everything else about it, I just felt like it was fun. And I had a fun time watching it. And I I felt like there was no reason not to give it a high score. 
Yeah, so I've been out of the Shrek universe for a long time. I obviously have seen three, four uh, when they were released in theaters or very soon after. But as far as Shrek 2, I honestly have probably not seen this, you know, since the 2000s. I don't think I've watched this in the 2010s at all. So when I was getting to watch it, I was kind of like you. It was like, okay, we're going to do Shrek 2. And even though I know that Shrek is so good and obviously have seen this movie plenty of times, and this is also so good, I I don't know why there's this mental block with me, which we will talk about, I guess, on a future (laughs) episode uh, when when we're talking about DreamWorks. But as soon as the opening number started, uh, even before, as soon as the DreamWorks credits started with those balloons coming up, I was like taken back to a very happy time. And the opening number starts and things are just funny right away. They're clever. They're hilarious. And the music is great. So that's bringing me back. So, you know, great jokes, great storyline. I felt that it was very unique. It had obviously lots of pop culture references and and plays on classical fairy tales that we know, but it still felt so original Mm -hmm. in every aspect of it where I wasn't bored I was excited to see where this is going. I was really invested in the characters. They've done a really, really great job in making us care for Shrek and for what he is and who he stands for and all of that. And then, and then Fiona, like really developing her backstory even more to help us realize that this, you know, she has her loyalty to her family, but then also to Shrek and follow your heart or follow, you know, your duty, all these things. And they just expertly crafted those all together had some had a great villain had a hilarious semi-villain in prince charming i guess and i loved every minute watching this i really do love the shrek franchise it deserves the millions and billions of dollars that it has made for for dreamworks and understand why they kept going back to this cash cow over and over and over again so with that i'm going to give it four and a half stars all right now why why did you not give it the five you know I think I probably gave Shrek a five and there's something magical and almost intangible about a five star for me where you know it. Mm -hmm. And, um, this just didn't quite have that five star touch. So it's, it's probably a 4.75, but I'm going to give it a 4.5. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, because I'm thinking like, if I liked it so much, why am I not giving it a full five? And then I'm like, well, it's probably because I forgot about it completely. And a five-star movie, I don't forget about. So I think that's, that's why I'm going to do that. Uh, but anyway, there we go. What do you rate it? Let us know on the comment section of this post. You go to rotoscopers.com slash 183 and let us know. We want to hear you. Oh, oh, I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong and he's gotta be fast and he's gotta be fresh from the fight. All right, thank you guys so much for joining along for this episode of the Animation Addicts podcast as we traveled too far, far away and explored Fiona's hometown, met the parents, and had grand adventures along the way this was a really really fun movie to watch i'm really glad that we ended up doing it it makes me almost almost want to go and watch shrek 3 right away just to see what happened with the third one because in my mind the third one was not as good the third one just was a step down i've only seen it a few times so i'm really curious to watch that one to see what happens but you know 
there will be a time and a place for that. I don't think we're going to do it next. Maybe we will. I don't know. Mason, maybe we should just do Shrek 3. like Just in case Mason. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think we wanted to save Toy Story 4 for him. Yeah. So we're not exactly sure what Mason's schedule is right now. So he's had lots of different things come up. And so we are we're really wanting to save Toy Story 4 to be with him. And so knowing that... If he becomes available, then the next one that we are going to be doing is Toy Story 4. If he does not become available and we need he needs one extra, you know, cycle, one extra, you know, podcast round to give him some extra time to finish his stuff, then we will probably be doing Shrek 3. Yeah, Shrek the 3rd. The 3rd. Because I'm just on such a Shrek kick right now. I <laughs> really want to check Where did it out this come and from <laughs> from Shrek 2. I know, but like before, why did we do Shrek 2? Just because? When I was coming up with a list, you know, of course, there's the movies that we missed while we were on hiatus. So we got to right. do some of those. So Into the Spider-Verse and some of these other ones. There's like Klaus I want to do, but I'm going to save that for Christmas time. I want to do The Grinch, but save that for Christmas time. Okay. And then, you know, the, what are some of the other Disney Pixar movies that we missed? So, okay. Those are filling all the slots. And now I'm like, okay, are we just a Disney Pixar podcast? No, we do other things too, but we haven't gone back in time to do an older film. So I just said, okay, what's a DreamWorks film from a while ago? And Shrek 2 came to mind. So I said, hit it. And here we are. Here we are. And, and now we're <laughs> back to back Shrek 3. Shrek the third. Which Possible. I am very excited to do, surprisingly. I'm, yeah, I'd like to see what it was that made me forget about every other Shrek. Because yes, I think that might have been why. I think, yeah. I don't know if I ever saw the fourth. Because I just always remember being kind of very irritated that they kept coming out with more sequels. It was like the Ice Age thing. Yeah, yeah. Them and Blue Sky had their main hits that they just kept... This was before sequels and remakes were really a thing. Like, sequels are a thing for Disney, but it was always home to video. So it was like a different level. We're pretending right. that it's, You know, and so the fact that they just, like, kept coming back. But let me stop myself right there. We will <laughs> talk about this if perhaps our next episode is Shrek the Third. So send us your voicemails, get them in ahead of time for Shrek the Third, whenever we do that one, Toy Story 4, whenever we do that one. If you're doing your Sailor Moon rewatch, be sure for season one, be sure to send us your voicemails once you finish that. I still need to start that. So you too. Yeah, there's lots of watching to do guys. So make <laughs> sure if you are renting these films, go to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. You can rent them on Amazon Prime and we get a little kickback by using our affiliate links and any Anytime you start your shopping, back to school is coming up. Go to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon and do your Amazon shopping using our affiliate link. And we appreciate everyone every single month that continues to use that. It really is a simple, easy way to support the show. Of course, if you want to watch Shrek 2, we have links to that in the show notes as well as to the amazing soundtrack because it is a jam and I love it. And it was definitely like epitomized part of my high school summer, 2004, good times. And with that, that's all I have. Follow us on our individual locations, Morgan Stradling on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, and YouTube. Yes. Morgan has a great, great set of YouTube videos coming out, especially if you are trying to create a YouTube channel. She will help you do that very well. And Chelsea Robson on Instagram. And I am, so I'm almost done with Ooh. a new song. And Stay tuned. I have, I'm really excited about this one. Um, so that one should be out in the next, uh, within the next month. 
So good times will be had because I, I write songs for people who are like getting married or having anniversaries or, you know, all sorts of whatever kind of, uh, special event you have and you want to commemorate it with a custom song i wrote those songs for people and this is one of the songs that i wrote for a wedding and it is one of my favorite songs i think i've ever written so not all of them get pushed into my you know my public stuff but this one i i am definitely pushing it out there because i think it's really awesome and it definitely sounds disney it's great (laughs) because they asked me they wanted to have it they're like um they said I ask, what kind of songs would you like this to be kind of modeled after? And because you, you want to make sure that you aren't giving them something that they aren't expecting at all. And <laughs> they ended up saying uh, one of the songs they gave me was The Last I See the Light. And I was like, all right, I, this is my jam. I know how to do this stuff. So <laughs> I got that coming in. So I think it sounds amazing. So, all right, guys, until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. It was directed by Andrew Adamson, Kelly Asbury, no, As Asbury, Asbury, yes. Kelly Asbury, and Conrad and Conrad Vernon. Studio is DreamWorks Animation. Also, another okay. The studio. Where's the distribution? Okay. Well, there was a video of you that you and I did when we were reviewing the Puss and Bush, the Puss and Book, Puss and Boots art book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> An ideal husband, cemetery man, or cemetery man. It's a little different. (laughs) I'm like, hmm. You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.